0: I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Father, thank you for the love of family, friends, community, children. As we dig into your word, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, lights. We got the video turned up. Here we go. Have you ever lost something? And have spent frantic time trying to find it like for me it's my car keys i lose them in fact this morning i'm laughing to myself as i'm looking for my car keys and what i find i put my i walk into the house and i put my car keys down and they're usually in this exact same spot that i put them when i put them down when i go to find them but i'm so distracted at times when i come through the door that i have no idea where i put them I mean, it literally seconds later, where are my car keys? Uh, and, and I search and I, and I look around. Or, or have you ever lost something, right? And, and you go to the spot where you think it is and you know, I put it right there. And the first thing that pops into your mind that there's a conspiracy in this household to scramble my eggs. Somebody has moved it and they've hidden it on me and they won't tell me. And so you frantically begin to search and to look. I think you all know what it's like to lose something. Have you ever lost your glasses only to find them on top of your head? Come on, you, be honest. I know I'm not the only one that's done it. It's a little easier when you have no hair, because then you have dents in your head from your glasses. But when I had hair, I would lose my sunglasses on my head and look for minutes looking for my sunglasses. And so searching and looking, it's just part of our human experience. We all, we all come into contact with it. And sometimes it's very simple looking for, for glasses or keys or your wallet around the house. And sometimes it's for these bigger things we're searching for, for meaning or purpose in life or you know, um, of, of happiness or, or joy. We all know what it feels like to look and search. We all know what it feels like to lose something. And sometimes we've lost things that are very important to us. And we know that, that sinking feeling that we have when we recognize or realize that it's gone and we can't find it. But then there's joy in the moment where we, we, we come to find that thing we looked for. Sandy um, was given an engagement ring by her, her, her grandmother who's been passed many years now. Um, it's a beautiful engagement ring. In fact, this engagement ring can fund a really nice Harley-Davidson But I've been trumped over that, so I can't sell it. It's an heirloom, go figure. But anyway, um, she lost it one time, and this is going back years. And we searched the house, could not find this engagement ring. And I could see that she was really just kind of broken about it. And and we looked and looked, and we weren't going to even blame. We had um, Bob's Discount Furniture drop off a couch. We're going to blame them. Like, they found it and stole it. We're going to call, and I wanted to talk to those guys, but we didn't. Months and months later, I get a phone call from her. She's hysterically crying on the phone, like the kind of crying like something really bad has just happened. And and I'm trying to, like, what's I can't understand you. I'm I'm thinking somebody somebody died. Like it was she was that. uh, I'm like okay sweetheart. So finally she calms down. I found my grandmother's ring and it was lodged in her dresser had fallen in, but she was ecstatic, emotional, um, tears of joy and a language that I didn't understand of joy for the first few minutes on the phone. So we all know what it feels like to lose, to search, and to find. Searching is also a character of God. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character. Jesus not only would talk about this whole idea of searching, but he lived it as he traveled around and shared that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, he came to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Ezekiel. When God said this, the word came, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Old Testament. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not straightened the, uh, strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have, you have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled that ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. What he is saying here is that the religious leaders of that time, of those days, they weren't doing their job watching over God's people. And so because they weren't doing, they were all just caring about themselves, looking at themselves. They were wearing the, the best clothes, eating the finest food. When the, uh, just the people, us type of people, were wandering and getting lost and they did nothing to help us now, what he means by getting lost is not in a geographical sense, but in a spiritual sense. They lost their way from God, and the world was beating them up, devouring them. Peter, in the New Testament, he writes in in his first letter. He says that the devil prowl, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for something to devour, looking for someone to devour. These people. They've lost their way. They've wandered away from God, and the shepherds have done nothing to get them back. But God has a solution. Just a few verses later, he says this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. God himself is going after the people who are lost, the people who have wandered away, the people who are broken, the people who have separated themselves from the shepherd, from him. He's going to care for them and he's going to bring them back home. He's going to rescue them from the day of cloud in darkness, have you ever had one of those days, those weeks, that season in your life that just just feels like clouds and darkness? God is searching, and He's looking. He's searching, and He's looking. And now we fast forward to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And Jesus traveled, and He and He spoke, and He. And he gathered big crowds around him. And there's this story in the Gospel of Luke. And there are two types of people that are gathered around Jesus. And they're listening to him. But they're two very distinct and very different groups of people. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 and 2 says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Tax collectors, sinners, were gathered around Jesus. They were interested in what he was saying. They felt somehow welcomed by him. They didn't feel like the rest of society looked at them, like they were outcasts. Jesus had this way of welcoming People who are outside of the good people in society. it's a very distinct category: tax collectors and sinners, socially unacceptable. If you were a good Jew, you did not deal with the sinner. And the only time you dealt with the tax collector was when you had to give them money. But the tax collector was a detestable person. They pretty much sold their soul to Rome to get a franchise to charge money to their own people. And so if Rome required a dollar from you, the tax collector would charge you five and pocket the rest. They were hated. They were a hated group of people who took only money for themselves. Nobody liked the tax collector. And part of the reason was because they got rich off the poor. And then there were the sinners. Now, the only friends that tax collectors had were other tax collectors and the sinners. These are the people that that wanted nothing to do with God. These are the people that just kind of did their own thing. They wouldn't go to any of the festivals or the religious celebrations. They wouldn't show up in the synagogue. They were considered unclean. They were considered unrighteous. In fact, society considered them damned. That's what a sinner was. And so these tax collectors and sinners, this, this excluded outcast of a group, they were the type of people that were gathered around Jesus listening to him. I hope you're beginning to see the kind of people that were attracted to Jesus. But there's another group that's on the scene too, Pharisees and teachers of the law. The Pharisee, the teacher of the law, they were the religious elite. They were the bigwigs in the the social setting. They didn't separate um, church and state back then. It was all religion And so the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they they made the religious rules. They enforced them. They were judge and jury. They had all the power. People feared them. Amen, Stephen. He's going to be a pastor one day. You watch. And this elite group of people, they murmured and they gossiped. They did not like what they saw. These tax collectors, these sinners. Not only does he welcome them, he, he eats with them. He shares a meal with them. Now, understand that eating a meal with someone was a big deal back in this day. It, it, we lose... Uh, the, the, the deep meaning that, that they understood it as, I, I think the only way that we can maybe liken it to is if, if you allowed someone to move into your home with you and live with you in your house. You connect with them. You trust them. You're, you're part of their, you know, your, your, your friends. You're more than friends. Your, there's this intimacy of relationship. That's what it meant when you ate with someone. You accepted them. They were your people You were theirs. These Pharisees, these these teachers of the law, the religious elite, they don't like what they see in Jesus. He is allowing these, these contemptible ignobles sit at the table with him. He's accepted them. In fact, he's treating them like family. How dare he do that? They were disgusted. You don't eat with sinners. You don't eat with tax collectors. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. Jesus can see it in their face. He can see it in their gossiping, in their murmuring. And he knows what they're, going to, what they're thinking about um, him. He knows what he, they're thinking about God. And he's going to use this time to teach them a very valuable lesson. And he's going to do it by stories. Stories with a meaning. They call them parables in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a story about everyday life, and in that is, is a, uh, a teaching of the character and the nature of God. And so, this is what it says as Jesus begins to teach them. He told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents? These two short stories are, short, are stories about lost and found. Something is lost. Something is found. But more importantly, it's about the one who goes searching to find it. These stories are reflecting a truth about God. That God is one who searches and looks for people. The first one is as a guy, he loses one sheep out of a hundred, which means if he has a hundred sheep, he's probably a pretty wealthy individual. And one goes stray. Now, I wonder if these people that are hearing Jesus tell this story, at least the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, they, they're starting to think about that whole Ezekiel prophecy about shepherd and lost, and maybe they're getting angry about it. But on paper, this loss of a sheep is not really a big deal. One out of a hundred, the the Shepherd would probably get that back during the season when when uh, the birthing season, and so it's really not all that much of a big deal to lose one out of a hundred, but that one sheep was important to him, and he left the ninety nine and he went out and he searched and he searched for that one sheep, and when he found it, he throws it up on his shoulders because sheep are they're stupid, and he throws it up on his shoulder and he carries it back and he tells his friends, rejoice with me. I found this one sheep. And then the lesson that Jesus wants to teach about God. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. There were two kinds of people gathered around Jesus, tax collectors, sinners. They really didn't care much about God. And then there were the religious elites, those that thought themselves to be special and righteous and God's favorite. Two people hearing the same story. Jesus tells them, heaven throws a party when just one person decides to leave that way of life and to make God the priority in their life. One person, only one, and heaven erupts with a party, with rejoicing. When somebody realizes that they have made everything else in their life more important than God, and they go, I'm going to stop that. This is my priority now. Heaven rejoices. God values those who are lost. God values those who have walked away. God values those who reject him and hate him and don't care about him. And he searches. And when one comes back, heaven rejoices. Now the second story is very similar. There's a woman. She's lost one of her ten coins. One of these coins is about a day's pay. She searches the house, lights the lamp sweeps the floor looking for this coin. She doesn't stop until she finds it. And when she does, she rejoices. She calls her neighbors. I found my coin. Come and rejoice with me. And then in verse 10, the God lesson. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven erupts with joy. In these stories, God is the shepherd who goes searching. God is the woman who looks for the coin. And the sheep and the coin are symbolic of people who have walked away, who don't care about the things of God, who are living a life that doesn't reflect a relationship with God. God. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter where you've been. It does not matter how bad society calls you. God loves you enough to search for you. That's the truth of the gospel. But there's one more story that Jesus is going to tell. And it's commonly known as the prodigal son story. So first he talks about... A hundred sheep, and the shepherd loses one. Then he ups the ante, and there's ten coins, and the woman loses one. And now he's going to tell a story about a father having two sons, and one is lost. There's a lot going on in this, in this whole story. We could spend weeks unpacking it, but we're only going to spend about four hours here unpacking it. So we'll have you out soon. But I'm going to, I, I believe it's really small. Yeah, I'm just going to read it out of my Bible. Because I really want you to get a flavor for the story. This is Luke chapter 15, starting verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, found, he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes and comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother is, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Another story of lost and found. Now in this cultural setting, when the son says, hey dad, I want half my inheritance. I want the money I got coming to me. He's basically telling his father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. And now I want you to give me the money that you worked all your life for and saved. And I get some because I'm your son. I hate you. I wish you were dead. Now give me my money. And the father gives the money to the son. I wonder what he must have felt, the father. Frustrated, angry, sad, broken. But the son says, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And the father says, okay. I'll give you what you ask for me. And then the son comes to his senses, runs out of money, decides, I need to go home. Because even the servants in my father's house have it better than I have. Maybe he'll take me back if I say, I'm not worthy to be your son, but let me be one of your servants. So he decides to go home. But I want you to pay very careful attention to verse 20. So the son gets up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father saw the son a long way off. Jesus is painting the picture that the father was looking, searching, hoping, waiting for the son to return. And he had no idea why the son was coming back. He didn't know what was going on in the the kid's head. The kid could be thinking, well, maybe he's finally dead and I can get some more money, maybe from my brother or from my mother. Or maybe I just want to brag a little bit and, and, and just say, Dad, look at it, I've, I've done so well without you. He has no idea why his son's coming back. But the father searches, looks, sees his son coming from a long distance, runs out to him, compassionately throws his arms around him, kisses him, and loves him. The father doesn't care about the reason why he's coming back. He's rejoicing that he is coming back. This would never happen in this culture. At best, this son knows that he's going to have to grovel at his dad's feet just to become a slave or a servant in the house. But the father will have none of it. Arms around him. Kisses him. There's a great picture painted by Rembrandt. Called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And this is just a piece of it. And this shows the father embracing his son as the son rests his head on his father's belly, on his father's chest. Compassion, love, acceptance. The son's face, he's home. And he's experiencing the love of his father. He has been welcomed. And at the end of the story, we see again what Jesus says. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. It's the joy of the father whose child was once considered dead is now alive. The father is joyful because the son who was lost, who walked away from the family, from everything that was safe in home, He's back, and he's found. God is a God who searches. In Cheshire, the town we're in, there's over 29,000 people. Naugatuck, there's 31,000 people. Meriden, there's over 59,000 people. In Wallingford, there's over 45,000 people. In Southington, there's over 43,000 people. In Waterbury, there's 108,000 people. If you add those numbers up, roughly you get about 315,000 people. Over a quarter of a million people in just the surrounding towns near our church. All of heaven rejoices when just one, when just one decides to follow Jesus. Jesus. All of heaven rejoices. Do you realize that when you decided to put your faith in Christ, heaven threw a party and rejoiced. And I believe in this room, some of you, the party's still going on because they cannot believe it actually happens. (laughs) And so we as the church need to be about our Father's business. We as the church have to go out and search and share and welcome people who are not like us, who don't like us, who have different beliefs than us, who we would never talk to, who we shouldn't talk to. We have a message of hope for the hopeless. We have a message of light for those who walk in darkness, for those who are experiencing seasons of clouds and rain and drizzle. We can show them the sunshine that sunshine is Jesus Christ. The church has to be about the Father's business, of searching for those who are lost. For the next additional four weeks, we're going to talk about how we as the church want to reach out to people. What should our heart be towards those people who don't know Jesus? First of all, we need to be searching. We have to have that heart that breaks for people and willing, we're willing to leave our comforts We're willing to get busy. We're willing to roll up our sleeves to share the gospel. God is a God who searches for the one, and he leaves the 99 behind. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this about you, Jesus followers. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot you are the salt of the earth but if you just stay in the salt shaker how can you ever season the world with christ you're the light of the world a town built on a hill can't be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven We, as the church, need to be about the Father's business of searching, looking, loving, welcoming, having compassion on people who, realistically, we have nothing in common with. That's the Father's heart, that none would perish, not one it needs to be our heart. But what's in our heart has to be translated into action. The salt doesn't season the food unless it leaves the shaker. The light doesn't leave the house unless the windows are thrown open and it's allowed to shine. Father, thank you for your word and that you've caused this word to be protected for so many years. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that this would sink deep into us and that you would transform our hearts to the heart of the Father, that we would be a church who searches, who looks for opportunities to share the grace of the gospel. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the blessing of this day. Again, we ask you to bless the Avini family. Bless Colin, Dave, and Ann. May they continue to grow into everything that you have for them as individuals and as a family. And we pray these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Great to see you and meet some of you. We'll see you next week. Peace.